the title of the message today is The Perfect Law of Liberty. And if you would turn with me to James, the first chapter, verse 25, this is our scripture reference for today, that in all our getting that we would get an understanding. James, the first chapter, verse 25, says this, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and giveth there, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we see here as we take a moment to just reflect on this passage of Scripture, and we understand that this particular book and this passage was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And so it's so important that we take a moment to define this word liberty that we see here when it speaks of, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. See that word liberty in a, in a nutshell, it means freedom, but it, as we look at it in its, in its essence, it means not to be in bondage, no longer captive, captive to slaves, to sin and death. That we've been freed from oppression of the darkness of the mind and the tyranny of sinful lust that was induced by a morally corrupt state. See, at the moment Adam and Eve went away against God's plan, they became morally corrupt. Their minds were darkened, and lust enslaved them. It was like a tyrant, and it has done that for each and every one of us. Sin has been a tyrant from a morally corrupt state. Our state or position was corrupt unholy, impure, unrighteous. It can go on and on and on. And maybe you, like me, realize that you couldn't do it for yourself. We're reminded what Paul said, the things that I want to do, I do not. The things that I don't want to do, it seems like I keep doing that. He went on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Each and every one of us was in need of deliverance. And maybe James was thinking about the same thing because he had a little trouble of really looking at the law clearly. See, James is speaking about how we look at God's command. See, there was a time you would think that James was, his, was the brother of Jesus, that he would have the inside scoop, that he would be partial to the things of Christ and the things of God. But how many of you had a brother and sister in the last thing you wanted to do was to listen to them, right? You ain't my mama. You ain't my daddy. And so James is speaking about how we look at this. He says those words, but whoso looketh into the perfect law. Are you looking and discovering? Are you looking closely? That God's law, God's commands, God's words is perfect. It's the word of truth. It's the gospel. It's that which will set the captives free. It's the good news. And so often we can look at it, you know, we, we, we can equate God's word and God's law to churchism. And we're like, well, when I was at that church, 
we'll attach those things. So we may have a skewed view of who is God. What's his plan? What's his purpose for you and I? See, God is not fallible. He's not Aram. Man is. I am. But God is not. And so maybe it took James some time to look correctly at God's perfect law. See, we can get it all twisted up if we're not careful. We can allow those hurts of the past to cause us to look through, look at God's law through a filter, through a wall that we may have placed up on ourselves. And we can become skeptical, even just like the disciples who had walked with Jesus and spent time with Jesus. And Timothy said, or excuse me, Doubting Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see it for myself. Unless I put my hands on it. So it's so important that we have a correct content. So context. So I want to spend a little bit of time and, 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 and explain truly what liberty or freedom in Christ is. What are we freed from and what are we freed to? See, there's three things and we, when we think about this liberty that comes to mind that we're freed from and that we're freed to. The first one is we're freed from the penalty of sin. See, that death sentence would cause us and was supposed to have us eternally separated from God. That's what Satan tried to do. Eternally separate us from God because God is holy. He's righteous that we would be separated from him. The second one is that we, we were freed from the power of sin. And sin has a power. It's like an enslaving force. It enslaves us and it keeps us in bondage. And that we would be set free from that power of sin. And the third point that I want to talk about today is that we have been freed to be in relationship with God. See, the veil of separation was torn down, giving us free access and free relationship with God. So would you just look with me and as we talk about the first one, freed from the penalty of sin, you see Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, God wanted to free us from that penalty. That the just and righteous payment for sin is death. And that the wages of sin is death. But he sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to set us free from that penalty. That he would pay it for us. So look what Jesus shares on, in his idea of bondage in John the 8th chapter, verse 33 through 36. He says this, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. See, that's a, that's a lie of the devil. See, we can, think of, we can think like that, that we've never been enslaved, that we got it all together, that we got it all going on. And so that appointed time, God just waits a little bit. He's like, okay. He allows the world to kind of beat at our door. 
and to work on us a little bit so that we could understand that we all have been in bondage, that we're all in bondage, that this world is falling, that it's, that, that, that it's broken, and it doesn't care who it destroys. And that's so much the point that we understand that, that the destruction comes from the inside out. That we are outside of God, we are self-destructive beings. That left to our own devices, we are wretched and undone and we will destroy ourselves. But God wanted to save us from ourselves, to save us from sin. And so look what Jesus said when he said we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. See, the reality of it is in most cases we don't do it willingly. I mean, the flesh loves to be pleasured. But we start out with a little bit, you know, oh, that was nice. That, was, that, that felt good. That was pleasing. And that addictive nature cause us to go more and do more. See, the reality of it is that everything in this world is addictive. The only thing that's not is God. God asks us to come to him. We get to choose. He doesn't try to enslave us. And look what else he says. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. See, God is, his measure of grace extends to all men. Do you know that? That he gives all of us a, a, a certain measure of grace so that the world doesn't just destroy us. But it's with the intended purpose to draw us to him. That he's waiting on us. That he's long-suffering. That his desire is that none would perish, that we all would come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But he says, if you stay a slave to sin, if you don't trust Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that you won't abide in the house forever. You won't be protected forever. His extension of grace won't be there forever. But a son abides forever. See, if you, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God put that forever on you, that you would abide in his house. Therefore, if, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. God also wants us to be freed from the power of sin. And so Jesus reminds us that the thief intends, intended purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so Paul talks about the power of sin. As I mentioned earlier, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And so we see in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse five and six, it reminds us of this. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, we're being resurrected. Not only from death, but we're being resurrected from the power of sin. 
knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. You know, at the moment you accepted Christ, your body of sin was done away with. That was no longer your nature. You are called by God a saint. You are the beloved. You are righteous in his sight. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. So if, you're, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not a slave to sin. Doesn't mean that you don't sin at times. But God has, has done something on the inside of us. He's broken the chains. He's set the captives free. He's liberated us. We are no longer sins to it. I mean, we are no longer slaves to it. But he understands that it's a process. That we're to walk it out. You are no longer a slave to sin. Christ broke those chains and became Lord over Christ being now your Lord, he is Lord over your character and your conduct. Are you going to surrender your character and your conduct to him? That your character would be pleasing in his sight. And that he said in his word that come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take unto me my yoke. Look at Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 29. It says, take my yoke, my teachings upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. See, all those years that we were without Christ, see, our soul wasn't resting. It was always trying to satisfy and feel a need and, and, uh, and hungering for the things of this world and the lust of this world and craving those things. And so that soul, that mind, will, and emotion was like a raging Cajun. Just raging inside. And so God knows when you accept the Christ that, yes, you were transformed. I mean, yes, you were conformed into the image of Christ, that you became a new creation, but that mind, will, and emotion still had some work to do. And so he says, come to me. Let me teach you. Let me guide you. Let me calm the raging. Let me give you peace and rest for your soul. Let me walk out the process because you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And that he gives us power over sin. That he is the power if we follow him. And then that step of being freed to be in relationship with God. Being freed. See, we understand that there was a time when we weren't in relationship with God. At the moment Adam and Eve walked away, they fell out of relationship with God. They fell out of communion with God. And we so we see Paul saying something in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 18. Read that with me. He says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
See, at the moment you turned to the Lord, that you accepted Christ, that veil that separated you from God was rent, was broken. See, it was done once and for all when Christ died, and then it was done for you at the moment you turned to Christ. He went on to say, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. See, when Jesus came in, the Holy Spirit came in and created liberty in you and I. It freed us. It broke the chains. And we were able to live out and see what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 61, to set the captives free. Look what verse 18 says in 2 Corinthians 3. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So he's saying, don't forget, there's a process. And that we're being transformed. Yes, we were. At the moment we accepted Christ, we became a new creation. Now let's work on this mind, this will, and this emotion. Let it look like Christ. Let it act like Christ. Let it be led by Christ. So when we became believers in Christ Jesus, we received absolute access to God and the Holy Spirit. We get the opportunity to enjoy the full freedom of an intimate, close connection with God. And now we decide what we're going to do with it. God is there. He's waiting. He's always present. He's ever present with us. So that we can have an intimate, close connection with him. See, we didn't always enjoy such a connection. In the past, God's people required an intermediary between them and the Lord. While we know God spoke directly to Adam and Eve and Noah and others like Moses, there was typically firm boundaries between God and human beings. Often he chose to communicate through angels and prophets. And often the people hid from God because of their sin. See, that's what kept us separated. And so God being holy and righteous can be in the presence of sin. So the separation came. And we talk all around and about God and go to church and go through the religious process and the steps and do all these things for many years. I remember walking into church, hearing a message on Sunday, and it bouncing right off. Because there was no relationship. There was nothing to stick it. The Holy Spirit wasn't there. The spirit of life wasn't living on the inside. And so I would just say, that preacher was boring. I didn't get anything out of it. Or just maybe when folks were hooping and shouting and hollering, I'd be like, man, we had a good service today. And somebody would ask me, well, what, was, what did you hear? What was it about? I was like, I don't know. But everybody was excited. 
See, we didn't always enjoy such a connection. The Moses who was so close to God, like a friend, like we see in Exodus 33, verse 11. But even that strong relationship had limitations. For example, when Moses wanted to see the glory of God, God refused to show his full face. Remember, he's righteous and holy. He didn't show his full glory to, to Moses. He, he asked Moses to hide in the cliff of a mountain, the cliff of a rock, until God passed by, revealing only a glimpse of his back. See, just a little bit of God can transform our lives. And so just at a glimpse, we understand in the story that Moses was glowing because he got to be in God's presence, just a glimpse. But see, Jesus, the link between God and humanity changed everything. That we were no longer separated. That we could have intimate relationship with God. That we could have access to God. That we could spend time and be with him and worship him. And when Jesus rose to heaven after his resurrection, he left behind a gift for his people, the Holy Spirit whom he calls our advocate. And we have an advocate. See, that word advocate means helper. He's our agent of truth. He's going to remind us of what God said. He's going to remind us of truth. He's going to comfort us. He's going to lead us in the way of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is, and here's what we need to understand, the Holy Spirit is not a power or a force, but a person. See, so often we want to look at that, well, I was slain in the Spirit. It's a person. It's God. God is with us. And yes, we should be excited, and yes, it can stir us up, but it's not a power or a force. He is he is God. And he's right there. Maybe you've seen those commercials or those cartoons that have an angel and a devil on one side of our shoulder. And we may have said, jokingly said something like, well, the devil in me. See, the devil was. But at the moment you accepted Christ, the personhood of the Holy Spirit came on the inside of you. To lead you, to speak to you, to comfort you, to be your advocate. And so he stated these words, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. See, the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 17, spoke of this. He was speaking to the early church of Corinth, and he wrote about the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. We now have a new covenant with God. The old has been done away. We now have right standing with God. That covenant is a truthful, honest, open connection to the living Lord that brings liberty like nothing else. See, liberty is being freed from the penalty of sin. We don't have to pay it for ourselves. Liberty is being freed from the power of sin. It doesn't grip us and control us. 
But the essence of freedom is being freed to be in fellowship with the Father, to be in relationship with him. And so, saints, let me, let, let me have some real talk for a moment here and give some clarification because there's a term that's going around called Christian liberty. Maybe you've heard it before. And so this Christian liberty that we, that we have, this liberty we have in Christ, this is not a freedom to engage in any activity that is not expressly forget, forbidden in the body. It's not a license for us to engage in anything and everything because it's not expressly forbidden in God's word. So that's not what he's talking about when he says this liberty, that he set us free from the, the, from the wages of sin, that he set us free from the bondage of sin so that we could be in access with God, so that we could glorify him, so that we could fully fulfill the plan and the purposes that he has for you and I. See, Christian Nibley is not about doing what we want. It is more about doing what we should do and are called to do according to God's purpose and his will. See, we now get to, we've been set free. We, the chains have been broken, and now we can fulfill his divine purpose and plan for us. So just because you can do it doesn't mean you should, saints. God provides us with a conscience and conviction. There's a way that we should live, that we should always be seeking to draw near to God, that we should always be seeking to be pleasing in his sight. Our activity as Christians should always seek not to cause others to stumble and not to offend. There's times that that's going to be the case. We can't control everyone's actions, but our desire should be not to stumble cause anyone else to stumble and not to offend. Look at me, Romans 14, verse 12 and 13. See, we have a responsibility and we are accountable to edify each other in this liberty that we hold so precious from God. It says this in verse 12 and 13. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You hear that? You see it? You're still going to give an account. Now, yes, your sins have been forgiven. But God wants to do so much through you and I. Look what the next verse says. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Here's the clarification. Not to judge one another and say, look what she doing. You shouldn't be doing that. Look at him. No, that's not. Look what it says. But to judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So we're examining the liberty that we have, the freedom that we have in Christ. We're asking ourselves, see, it's not so much looking at our neighbor, it's looking at ourselves. The Bible says, let a man examine him. Are our actions causing a stumbling block or an occasion for our brother and sister to fall? Are we setting the wrong example? 
Are we doing being so loose that we're causing others to stumble? See, many of you know I spent many years in the military, 29 years, six months, and five days, now that I'm counting them. (laughs) And through that, that time, I learned something. The Lord blessed me and allowed me to be a leader. And I saw that leadership came with responsibilities. Would you agree? That my words and my actions were weighted. That if I did something, my soldiers would would take it so much and run away with it. That if I took one drink in front of them, they would probably take six. Because they're like, oh, he, he good. Then I can do it too. And so I, I, I came to that understanding that my words were weighted. My actions were weighted. I remember one of my senior non-commissioned officers storming out of a meeting that we had. And he was so frustrated. I didn't know at the time. My first sergeant came to me and said, sir, he was very upset. He was sharing information with you, and you kind of said, okay, and just moved on. You didn't say anything else. And at the time, I, th- I-, I thought I was just, you know, heard him and then just said, okay. But to him, it was, I dismissed him. I didn't think about what he was, or consider what he was saying. And so I took a moment uh, uh, the, the, the very next day, and I brought him in, and I apologized to him. I told him that what he said to me was important. That I apologize for not responding and listening intently. And that soldier, I don't know why, but he thought I could do no wrong from that point on. He was always an advocate, always going the extra mile because my words were weighted to him. They meant so much. Just like my action was weighted and caused harm, our actions can bless others. So most of these activities that we may be talking about, they revolve around social do's and don'ts. Yes, I get it such as whether or not to wear certain kinds of clothes, makeup, jewelry, tattoos, piercings, and and or other practices such as smoking, drinking, gambling, dancing, or viewing movies, or videos. And so we look at this passage in Romans 14, These things may not be strictly prohibited by God's word, but they can be bad for our spiritual growth and our Christian testimony and how we conduct ourselves in them. Yeah, I dropped the mic. But it's so important that we examine how we are walking out in our liberty. 
in all of those areas. Just because we can doesn't mean we should do it in the way we do it and in the manner that we do it. Our words and actions are weighty. And I know for, you know, I, and I'm going to put my son on the spot, but he watches me all the time. Someone told me a long time ago that our children listen to what mom says, but they watch what dad does. People are watching. And so our actions matter. So what's the goal? What's the ultimate goal of our liberty? The ultimate goal of our liberty is to glorify God. The ultimate goal for the Christian should be to glorify God edify fellow believers, and have a good reputation before unbelievers. Did you hear that, saint? Glorify God, edify believers, and have a good reputation before unbelievers. See, we see that being alluded to in Romans, the 15th chapter, verse 1 and 2. It says, we then who are strong, with that word, it, it, it's alluding to walking in liberty. We're not walking in our own strength. We're walking in Christ's strength. We who are strong are to bear with the scruples of the weak. In the King James Version, it says, bear the infirmities of the weak. So we bear with, we be patient with one another. We care for one another. We edify one another. And not to please ourselves, see? Not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So here, here, here's, here's the, the, the thing, though, that it'll edify our neighbor, and it'll edify us. See, it's not just a one way. See, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. We can't outgive God. As we give to others, as we edify others, we are being edified. We're being strengthened. So... So here's what Galatians 5.13 says. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. God has set us free for that divine purpose, that we would worship him and that we would serve and love others. So let me summarize with this. James was talking about it. He was saying, looking into the perfect law of liberty. Anybody remember that movie, Lion King? You remember the movie Lion King and, 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 and Simba has gone and he's talking to the, I might get it wrong, I'm just going to say monkey. Okay. And the monkey tells him to look. And then he hears from his father, and, and, and he tells him, Simba can't really see it just yet. And he tells him, look. See, what that word look means is to examine, to discover. See, so often we can look at God's law, God's commandments. That's what that word law means. And we can see all the do's and the don'ts, but we don't see the perfect liberty that God desires for us to have. So, 
James somehow, in, in some form, in some fashion, discovered this. And he says, whoever, it doesn't matter who you are, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that he wants to set you free. That you would no longer have the penalty of sin, that you would no longer have the, the being bound by the power of sin, that you would be free to worship God, to be in access with him, to be in relationship with him. And so that God would be glorified in everything that we say and do. See, the law is the word of God. In general, it is a perfect reflection of the character and the demands of God. That he's loving, that he's peaceful, that he's gracious, that he's a comforter. That he desires to be in relationship with you and I. And so his word brings about that very purpose. The idea of the perfect law is that in absolute soundness, wholeness, completeness, finished reaching its end and wanting and lacking nothing in our relationship with him. That is exactly the way he intended it. And that his command, his law, will set us free to bring about that very point. That you have been freed from the penalty, you've been freed from the power, and that you are free to worship him and have access into his throne that you would give him the glory and the honor and the praise that he so richly deserves. And that it would start by surrendering yourself to him. That you would allow him to break the chains. That you allow him to set you free. And that you would now enter into the rightful place that God always intended, intended for you and I. And we live that out every day of our life.